0: You're listening to the Two Tongues podcast, and now your hosts, Kyle and Chris. Serious music, Kyle. Yeah, it is. How you know we're serious people?
1: We got some digital sitar in the background.
0: Uh, you right.
1: know, on a sitar. You know, when you have a guitar, you have the strings, and they're stretched over the fretboard, and what adjusts the pitch of the string is like you bending the string over the fret. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a sitar, there's no there are frets, but there's no board. It's like you can press it down and as continue to want. change the, the tone of oh, the, the string. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah,
0: it is cool. Sitars are pretty sweet. Interesting. So I always thought uh, on a... Uh... Hold on. How, how does my how do my audio sound to you, man?
1: I, you're a little light in my headphones. I don't know if that's the volume on my headphones or the volume on your mic. Let me try
0: this. That sounds a little better. Okay, good. So, so I always thought on a, and I know nothing about music, but I did try to learn guitar for like two weeks one time. Yep. That uh, that uh, when you put when you pull the string down to one of those frets, that you shorten the string and mm-hmm. that sh- and that changes the note. Yep. Um, and the word you just you described was bending string is is that the same thing or is it different things so
1: bending on a guitar like because there's the fretboard behind there you can you you push down on the the fretboard and bend it on the fret and that shortens the the string like you said which adjusts the pitch um but um you can really only bend it that way as far back as the fretboard is you know because the fretboard is going to stop you yep. but you can bend it up and down you know and you hear like people like Jimi hendrix and you know blues players and shit they bend the strings all the time um but sitar you can't it, it, there is no fretboard so you're just bending it you know you're pushing it in yeah, to bend that's, it it's interesting yeah
0: i wonder if people pull it You know, push and pull Or if they have to Maybe they don't have to
1: I don't know if you can Like I feel like if if there's no fretboard And you're manipulating it Like up and down As opposed to just in I feel like it would slip around on the frets But I don't know that for a fact Or
0: or you'd have to manage to get your finger under it Without without touching the other strings It's probably impossible Yeah Yeah, I don't know I don't know either Um, So I decided to move my microphone position And I hate it Now I hate it And I can't move it Because it's too loud on the recording
1: you can pause it and do it real oh, quick. I'm not
0: gonna do that. I'm not gonna. This is live and un unedited, Kyle. Yeah. And this is the type of shit. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? All right, we're just gonna deal with it today. Okay. <laughs> um. So tell me about this. You've been getting a lot of uh, traction on Twitter lately, and uh, you, it seems like you've been pretty excited. So what's going on, man?
1: So you know, I just been like putting in effort to. Um You know, just be involved in I've been trying to be involved in what uh, people call liberty Twitter for, you know, years at this point. Mm. Um, But I've recently just had more success at it. Um, You know, I've been been getting more followers, things like that, which is exciting. Um, And then I we started this podcast. So I was like, oh, well, I can talk about the podcast on the Twitter, try to get people to listen that way. Um, and I've basically just been, you know, trying to talk to people uh, about, you know, libertarian ideas. Um, I'm sorry, you're distracting the shit out of me with
0: the microphone. <laughs> well, listen, I, I apologize for that. That's okay. Uh, you say liberty Twitter. And yeah. So I'm a, I'm a I don't am ai know what word you want to call me, a noob or a boomer or whatever you want to call me. But there's a bunch, so much stuff that I don't know yeah. about social media because I need to put more time into into it, you know. It's a little embarrassing at this point actually. So it like yeah. makes me want to do it less. I don't think
1: it is. Like I love Twitter. Um I, I probably too much, but I don't I totally get why people don't want to be involved. I think it's probably better not to be involved in it.
0: Yeah, you might or be right. But it's got, on the desk but it's got its advantages. Sure. So so the reason I bring that up is because I heard about black Twitter. Oh okay. From Jamie Vernon on the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah. Um, prior to that I didn't understand that that it was fractured in such a way. Mm -hmm. So there's a Liberty Twitter. There's a black Twitter. What does that mean, man? It's
1: fractured. Okay. So remember we had the interview with the white nationalist and we were talking about, go ahead. What? Oh, I remember. Yeah. I figured you did. Um, The highest belch count of any podcast we've ever had. Four of them. Four of them. (laughs) Yep. So we were talking about um, people fracturing in like high schools,
0: you know? Yes. It's just the same thing. So, but I guess what I don't understand this is where I'm going to really show my ignorance cards. Like, I, I guess I'm imagining Reddit. I'm imagining Reddit because it's the best I can do, mm-hmm. where you've got different areas that are universes in and of themselves. If you like a certain type of thing, you go to that Reddit thread or whatever, and you can just dive into that. And that's what I assume you're talking about on Twitter. No. But I have no idea. Not how, really. How do you keep the white people out of black Twitter? You don't. How, you don't. How, how do you keep the communists out of Liberty Twitter?
1: Um oh you definitely don't do that. <laughs> Lots of communists and liberty twitter, don't even fucking get me started. But um it's more realistic. It's more uh how it would how it is in kind of real life where you know what was it? So how do you How am I out? trying to describe? It? Okay, so like in Reddit you've got these I don't know these like all these subreddits that are like their own little world, you right. know? Whereas on Twitter it's everybody's mixed together, but you are obviously going to like create a community by who you're following and who you're interacting with. And like, you know, I don't really gotcha. pay attention to pop culture that much. So like there's a pop culture Twitter that I just am like not involved in, you know? Yeah, I don't want any part of that. But it's just because um it's just because I uh don't interact with them at all you know like i could i could easily and like sometimes they might pop up in my feed for some reason or another you know sometimes some celebrity says something particularly stupid or oh, yeah. and you know people just
0: dunk on them so what you're so what you're describing is just like a like an echo chamber within the larger community that's mitigated by the bunch of like-minded people that are following
1: yeah you know? i wouldn't call it an. i mean there's an echo chamber quality to it sometimes Um, But I think that it's not an echo chamber because you still are like rubbing up against other, you know, other people.
0: And what kind of relationships have you been able to develop that way? Are they, I mean, I can't imagine that they're particularly deep. And up until like recently, we're not talking about meeting these people in person, but that's going to change, it sounds like.
1: Uh, Yeah, I would definitely like to meet some of the people in person, Um, especially like the Liberty Twitter thing. There are a bunch of Liberty events, you know, Mm. there's one called Childerberg. Down in Texas, there's Mm -hmm. one called Pork Fest in New Hampshire. Um, But there's a lot of little things like that that I would like to go to where these people congregate. Interesting.
0: Um, You know, I got kids, so I don't know that I can do that anymore. It's like if I wanted to go to Burning Man or something. Yeah, yeah. Not until they're out of high school. And you're going to be old then. So there are
1: old people at Burning Man. That's true. I wouldn't want to go to Burning Man. Well, there's not a lot of in between though, right? I feel yeah well I don't know that's probably true yeah it's not a lot of middle aged people it's no. young people and old people
0: yes it is so I understand you you've been invited to somebody else's podcast let's yeah about, let's hear about that
1: so um I forget what the dude one second let me check here it's right here in my d oh well
0: I don't get very good service down here so well you need you need my Wi-fi password buddy because I got a new Wi-Fi system in the house. And now this is not a paid advertisement, but I'm, I'm using the, uh, I think it's called Arrow. It's, I think, I think it's an Amazon product. I'm not hundred percent sure, but it's a full house Wi-Fi. And the guy talked me into it because uh, I went for an extender because I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you're not you know, a tech guy. I'm not a tech guy. Like I heard about these extenders. Wi-Fi sucks in the basement. Help Give me, me an out. an extender, bro. And the guy was like, you don't want one. <laughs> yeah, And I was like, thank you for being honest. What, Hell yeah. What do I want? It's like, this thing here, that's four times the price. This is what you want. Yeah, yeah. And I just took it. I went up to the cash register and checked out. The cashier was very pleased with my purchase as well. He was pumped. He, he was, was like... This is this is the one, man. Nice. This is the one. So I, I felt like I made the best decision, you know?
1: Man, I don't... I have a hard time imagining myself getting that excited about, like, Wi-Fi, you know?
0: You keep talking. I'm writing this Wi-Fi password down
1: for you. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, like, you know, I can understand being excited about, like, a new computer or TV... Um, but but I guess I've never really had issues where I couldn't get Wi-Fi um, like in an, another floor of my house. So I guess if I had that problem, I could see investing a little bit more time and energy into it.
0: All right. So now while Kyle's p- putting this Wi-Fi password <laughs> in his phone because we're not prepared, um, I, my sister sent me a birthday present. I'm going to tell the audience about this. It's this.
1: just like totally non sequitur shit so it, far.
0: Well, this is part. This is part of what I wanted to talk about okay. today. So. Uh, so my sister sent me a birthday present and she bought me a book and no, nobody ever buys me books unless it's a book that's like on my wish list, right? So nobody ever buys me books, but she did. She bought me a book and it's a dangerous thing to do, man. You buy somebody a book, um, you buy somebody a book and it's like, you know, there's a there's a tremendous amount of effort you have to put in and concentration and time and stuff. It's just like, this is a commitment, this book, but the book she sent me was very small and I was like, all right, I, I you know... I, I'll go ahead and I'm willing to risk it.
1: Yeah, sure. That's not going to take you too long. So I read it.
0: I read it like in an afternoon yesterday, and it was really easy to read. You can see, like, even the font of this book is super small, super large. It's oh, super large, rather. So yeah. I, I want to talk about it. But the book is called "How Do You Kill 11 Million People?" Okay, how do you kill 11 million people? It's a New York Times bestseller by a guy named Andy Andrews, who I don't know, but my sister knows. He's written a bunch of other stuff, and she really likes him. Says he's a really good speaker So I read the book The book actually reads like A speech somebody's giving So that doesn't surprise me Okay um, And The how do you kill 11 million people thing Is a reference to how many How many people were killed In the concentration camps In Nazi Germany And It's really interesting So I don't want to necessarily spo- Spoil this If we, we don't want to get into this Necessarily right away But this is on the agenda today Okay um, And I'll just stop there Okay Uh, but anyway so the guy's podcast who you're going on we wanted to talk about
1: uh, oh yeah Um, yeah that's called the reality czars podcast Um, the person that I'm talking to apparently there's more than one host um, but that guy's name well at least his uh, twitter handle is at woke underscore contrarian so interesting yeah he I mean you know in his profile let me read you his bio right here husband father lover of christ agorist agorist whatever the fuck uh panarchist mm. bottom unity truther co-host of reality Zars pod meme lord at the bad roman uh my opinions are my own so mm. the bad roman that's an interesting thing uh it's like uh the idea that to be a good christian sometimes you have to be a bad
0: roman mm. isn't I mean, that powerful i do like that yeah yeah yeah, render unto Caesar exactly that which is Caesar's. Interesting, yeah. interesting.
1: So what, yeah, that's what I'm going on. Um, do you know
0: what the agorist thing is? Because that's that's over my head.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so agorism is a you know a subset of libertarian philosophy by a guy named Samuel Konkin the third, I believe, um, who is now deceased.
0: I want the audience to know, Kyle, this is information he's pulling right out of his, his <laughs> memory. There's no references. There's no notes. There's no. There's no internet. Yeah, this is in his head. Go ahead. Buddy. Yeah, it's
1: it's like I said. I've been on Liberty Twitter for three years, and they're just poisoning my mind. Um, but, yeah, Samuel Conkin Jr., or Jr., the third, uh, or maybe it is Jr. I don't know. See, I, like, yeah, I am pulling this out of my head because it's a little garbled. But, uh, yeah, he could just created uh, this, like I said, subset of libertarian philosophy called agorism that's about okay so if anarchy is the idea that there shouldn't be a state in my mind agorism is like how we operate in that and like get to that uh, and it's about like black markets like um, cutting the state off cutting the state out of your life mm. so agorism it's its powerful stuff
0: interesting so that, that death by a thousand cuts idea with the federal government is interesting um, so I, you know I'm not making any recommendations. I'm just saying hypothetically, if people decided to shift primarily to a black market, let's say if 50% of the economy did, which you know most of that's government spending, so maybe that's impossible, but let's say that. Then half of the tax revenue that the government needs to operate goes away. Poof. We all have that much more sp- purchasing power because we're not giving that money to the government. Hell yeah. And we could buy more for ourselves. The government is forced to be to do less and to be less mm-hmm. because they can't afford to. Boy, I don't, and and it's something that we could all do. We could all just choose to do. Uh, that's interesting. That is an yeah, interesting I idea, man. Yeah. Like shackle the government in a way they can't control with by a thousand little cuts.
1: See, I know you have this, and, and I've admitted in this podcast already that you're right to some degree, that Twitter is trashy, uh, like social media tends to be. But I, I don't think I would... Well, maybe I would know about agorism without Twitter, but I learned about it through Twitter, so...
0: So I want you to know when you say t- Twitter is trashy, yeah. it in my mind immediately goes, Chastity. <laughs> Her name <laughs> is Chastity. She's white trash. What's well, that front why call don't it?
1: you suck my left nut? <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Uh, Interesting. What else you got, bud? Um, I did have oh, one other... Oh, I know what I wanted to say. What's up? Um, so the podcast that we released... Before the white supremacist oh, interview, yeah. white nationalist interview, um, that one we recorded after, but we but we published it first, and I was glad we did because of the topic and the you know the, I was able to say some stuff that I couldn't say on the podcast with with John, um, but I wanted to say we struggled a little bit to play those Morgan Freeman clips, yeah, and so for the audience's uh, info, we had to turn up that Bluetooth audio. Completely to the roof, and me and Kyle were like eyes as big as saucers because we saw the uh, the audio the, levels, the audio levels on the computer were like whenever every time John spoke, it was just like you know, it was maxed. like popping through the red It was, it was, was like going all the way. You know. But he, but he said he you know that he couldn't hear. Her. We had to turn it up, so that's yeah. what, that's what we did, and it, it it worked out okay, I suppose, in, in yeah. the end, except for the Morgan Freeman exactly so this is my apology to the audience those morgan freeman clips even though i played them in the wrong order they're amazing i love them i think more people need to be listening to them more more often Mm -hmm. um but i did not adjust the bluetooth audio so when we played that it was just i don't know if anybody noticed but especially that first clip it was just like as soon as it started playing it was just like you know decibels buddy decibels yep um
1: so that you know we apologize for that we're we're working things out we do we don't have a jamie vernon you know mm-hmm. so we're figuring shit out that being said i do really love the shit that you were saying about race last week really or yeah. yeah yeah last week yeah yeah i think that that is exactly right that is exactly how we need to be treating race to change things i really i think that's that's great
0: so for those people who maybe didn't listen um, I was just basically on Morgan Freeman's coattails mm-hmm. about this, where where Morgan Freeman and you know what, coming from him is means more than coming from me, you know. He's he's a black man and he's he's older, he's lived through, you know, different types of cultural, you know, views on race and and when he's asked, What do you think we should do about racism? He's like, Stop talking about it.
1: Isn't that kind of like contradictory to what you just said about his opinion meaning more than yours? In what way? It's like, why does his opinion matter more than yours? You have experience. Um, he has experience. I just don't think that his opinion matters. I, I'm not saying that no, his, no, no. you know, his opinion matters very much. His opinion might matter in the sense that he has a wider reach than you. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. And what I mean is. And I don't know if I should be ashamed of this or not, but what I mean is because he's a black man and he's talking about what it's like to be a black man, so I I assume that means he's got a more of sure. a leg to stand on and yeah you know, le- than I do. But maybe that's a part of the problem, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. It's that's ass- what I'm saying. It's, it's assuming like- that the, that his life is sufficiently different from mine that we aren't on the same page. Yeah, and, and that is divisive. I agree. Maybe I maybe I got to. You are more a racist. <laughs> I got to be more <laughs> careful, man. But yeah. but that point is so well taken, man. It's um, keeping it on everyone's minds all the time and constantly racking up tensions. Um, it does nothing to help the problem. Yeah. I, I do think it's a
1: fine line between this um, not mentioning race, you know, which I think is a good idea because it will cause people to forget about it eventually. Um, and it, But it's a fine line between that and this, you know, this idea that you talked about where... People do have identities, like group identities. It's just much smaller than we like to imagine that it is, you know? Um, and those are important to people, you know what I mean? And I feel like that's good. It, like, makes things interesting.
0: You know, that you're right, and that's something I struggle with, especially because when we're listening to John talk about it, is that he identifies with a community that he calls the white white, people. The white race, yeah. which means nothing to me. I mean, I know what he means, but it doesn't really mean anything to me. It's like John couldn't define that. If He, he, couldn't, he couldn't take 100 people and line them up and, and, and choose which ones are in, are in his family. He couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, you know, At least he couldn't do it as well as he thinks he can do it. There's, the lines are blurry, man, and I'm not sure I 100% agree with it. But this idea about identifying with groups, I've been thinking about that ever since talking to John. Um, because I have an identity, like we talked about, that I hold sacred, which is the, an American identity. I'm an American, and that means certain things, because I was taught that it means certain things. Yeah. And those, we're teaching kids differently now. But for me, and that's part of my t- my tension with it, it's like, okay, you're changing what it means, so you're changing my identity, and you're doing it without my permission, motherfucker. I don't like that. Sure. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm getting a little hot under the collar now. Yeah, I don't know where man. I was going with that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know where you're going with it either, but I liked it. I mean, you know.
0: So I actually did want to talk. Uh, I had some things about our conversation with John. Okay. That I hadn't to talk about. One of them, I think, is going to be. It, it it should be part of the thread of this episode if we get to everything I want to get to. But there was more than just that 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 I thought I didn't necessarily give fair consideration to during the conversation. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that it could have gone differently because we were all kind of ranting a bit, um, but. But here's what, here's what I wrote down. So he said, John, made a good point. One that I remember. Okay. He said that there aren't any new problems and that there's no such thing as progress. <laughs> and, he's, and you know what? That's an inflammatory thing and you can imagine people oh, yeah. vehemently disagreeing. Yeah. But then he qualifies it by saying what he means by that is that all of the problems that we had in ancient times, we have today. Yep. We didn't solve any of them not one of them except for polio except for polio everything yeah. else we've still got
1: yeah and we still have you know we've got covid now we don't have mm. polio but mm. we got
0: covid yeah, that's true
1: um or you know pick something else we've got cancer although i'm sure we had cancer back then too but you know what i mean yeah you know um although, although
0: there is a if uh, interesting tidbit uh that i'll sprinkle in about cancer let's hear it so I'm super into ancient history and archaeology. For those people who maybe not have gleaned to that for me, I didn't know that about you. One of the things I've heard from these anthropologists mainly is that when they study skeletons of ancient people, like Stone Age people, Mm -hmm. there's zero signs of cancer. Wow, it's very, very rare in those people. That's crazy. Another, another connected, related item: tooth decay. When they they look at people's teeth. They say Stone Age people had almost no signs of cavities and tooth decay. That's interesting. Now, they wore their teeth down like way, way sure. worse than me because they're chewing on bark and leather and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. They're using their teeth like tools. But they didn't, you don't see the problems that you see in the modern world with cancer and tooth decay. And the people who talk about it say, we don't exactly know why, except for they were eating orga- organic, they mm-hmm. were exercising constantly, and they weren't eating sugar and Shh. processed foods. That would be my biggest guess. So that their gut bacteria and their mouth bacteria are all so different from ours. Yeah. That's the reason why we don't get sick, right? Because, you know, today they're like, oh, probiotics, you got to keep your gut bacteria. There's even people that take shit from other human beings and insert them into their own, you know, rectum so that they can benefit from these cultures. So they're finding out today that the bacteria that live in our belly and in our mouths do a great deal to control our immune system and our health. Yeah. And apparently in the Stone Age that was keeping us healthy and keeping us from dying from cancer. Of course we probably didn't live as long in it either, but you know you get my point. That's interesting, man. It is interesting
1: and I think um I well it makes me wonder were there just other types of cancer that maybe like skin cancer? Because I mean, I imagine these people—they didn't have fucking sunscreen, you know. I have to imagine that they're out there cooking in the sun all the time and skin. But I mean, if you find a skeleton, are you going to find a- a- evidence of skin cancer? I have no idea.
0: That's a good question uh, for a doctor. For a- yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a doc- well,
1: uh, but it makes me wonder if like there are all these you know other potential reasons why they didn't get sick, like this gut bacteria, mouth bacteria thing uh if there was other some other kind of um like uh mitigating factor that yeah. caused them not to get skin cancer either
0: well there there are more reasonable assumptions like like they rub mud on themselves well like the, well that maybe that but those people you know in the stone age i'm guessing there's not a lot of skeletons older, older than 40 years oh so true. when do we get cancer yeah that's like a good point after that typically Yep. so maybe there, maybe there's something like that but it's just, it just interesting and there's all these you know educated people that are speculating about it why don't we see cancer in these people sure. it's interesting man
1: another reason for there might be no skin cancer is I think the darker your skin is the less likely you are to have it affect you like that mm-hmm. uh, and you see all these like pictures of the, like the really ancient hominoids and they're like they've got very dark skin
0: well yeah I mean if we if we came from Africa if, if we all came from Africa which is generally agreed upon mm-hmm. um and it's a tropical and subtropical climate. I'm sure. I'm sure the people coming out of Africa had dark skin. Yeah. They do today. Yeah. Stands to reason. Stands to reason. So uh, anyway, w- just getting back to this idea of that there's no such thing as progress. Um, I wonder how far that goes because clearly there is progress in terms of technology and quality of life and public health and safety and all that kind of stuff. There is progress there. But when you but when you look at human interactions, all of the th- all of the things that we suffer from you know, disagreements and violence and, uh, you know, lying and, you know, all the things that cause, that causes pain and suffering, that shit is not diminished. Nope. It is not diminished, man. We still, people still want to, you know, exert power over other people. They want to manipulate people, get what they want. They don't think about one, one another, only think about themselves. Oh, yeah. You know, th- that's the same as it was in 10,000 BC. Yeah. It's probably less.
1: Maybe it might be less in some ways, but in another way, there's way fucking more people now. So you just have like a ton more just despair.
0: And there's and that's funny because there's so many things that we don't know how to take into account that compound on each oh, other. Yeah. It's like if you have a community of a thousand people, and then suddenly it's a community of two thousand people. That might complicate the problems a hundredfold, not 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 you know twice, but a yeah. hundred you know a yeah, thousandfold yeah. or whatever. So, you know, who knows? We need
1: to get somebody on here to talk about Ted Kaczynski. That's what this is reminding me of.
0: In what way?
1: Ted Kaczynski was an anarchist, but also a, like, uh, a Luddite, a a person. I I, I guess, I don't even know if that's the right word, but he was anti-society, basically. Mm, You know, he moved out to the woods, uh, the Unabomber.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was thinking you were talking about... um, uh, one of, the, one of the one of the serial killers that was handsome what was oh yeah bundy bundy yeah, yeah. sorry go ahead, go ahead. Uh,
1: but i mean uh, if you know who i'm talking about now you probably know what i mean like he was kind of anti-society like get away from it you know uh, and that's just what it makes me think of yeah
0: uh, part of the LX, lsd experiments in the 50s uh, yeah. yeah he wrote those weird letters about technolo- the yeah. the dangers of the growing tech technology threat to you know human beings
1: absolutely the one dude that i love pete quinones he has uh, a podcast with this guy named bellamy fitzpatrick who's like you know he knows a lot about ted because it's it, he ted Kaczynski's an interesting guy i know he like mailed people bombs and that's bad but he he had some interesting thoughts
0: what we should do one, one, for one of these days we should read some of those kaczynski letters Fuck yeah and those like zodiac letters hell yeah talk I would about do that. <laughs> all right so that was one thing that, uh, that uh, in the interview with John that I don't think we, we gave enough credence to. I think that there's some truth to that, and we could probably spend a lot of time talking about it, but we didn't with him, so there's that, John. Um, also, he said a couple things that I brushed off. Okay. He said that he, he's not against... He's, first of all, he said, I don't hate black people, which, you know, when you hear that, it's just one of those things that rolls right off. But he did say he's not against trade, tourism, friendship, or cultural exchange. Sure, with people of other races, yeah. So he's like, so for him, he was like, look, let's just live apart, mm-hmm. and we can still deal with each other. It's not an
1: isolationist. No, it's like
0: let, I can go to your place, and when you and I can learn about black culture, and you know, I could, you yeah, know, go to go to a, j- a jazz club, and you know, whatever, and then I can come back to my house.
1: Don't you, I mean? I think it's good that he feels that way, like that things like that. I like I know the things that John thinks are. Again, like like the Unabomber, bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't get the impression that John is a particularly bad guy. Um,
0: no. no, I think he has a he has what he believes to be a solution to the ails of the world. Yeah, which have to do with simply living apart from other
1: yeah other people. <laughs> but but oh, fuck! I forgot what I was gonna say. Sorry, man. Um. Shit! What was I? Where was I going? What were we talking about? Well, we're
0: talking about how even though John it it wants to wants to have these. um,
1: Oh yeah, okay. So I don't think that like that ideology is good. And the reason that I like even if you do make it to where it's like yeah we could be friends and we can I can learn from your culture. Just it it breaks down when you're like no you're not allowed to live by me. We can be friends, but you you know. And if you do allow people to be friends, if you allow these white people in this. This small community to be friends with people of other cultures, it's going to seep its way in. Oh yeah! So it's like you're you're shooting yourself in the foot. There's this uh, idea that any organization that is not explicitly right wing is going to become left wing eventually, and that's like like that's exactly it. If you, it's like osmosis. You know, you're going to bring it in. You're going to become it.
0: Yeah. No. It's interesting too because John. When he was cr- critical of our thoughts, which was every time we opened our mouth, yeah, yeah. At, least, at least when I did. What you don't understand it like, it. Listen, this is what you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I didn't understand anything you said, Jeff. Yep. Um, you know, is that uh, he, he was focusing on differences in people causing conflict. And if we could resolve, if we could resolve the differences between people, we could eliminate conflict. And that would make the world a better place. And there's a part of that argument that's not wrong. But there's also a part of that argument that is like when Jordan Peterson talks about the difference of between conservatives and liberals, it's like taking the lifeblood out of the out of the culture because there's no change anymore. So when you have a culture that doesn't change, what happens is the world keeps changing. And if you don't change as well, eventually you're going to be out of date. Eventually, yeah. eventually, you're going to be unable to adapt. You're going mm-hmm. to fail. Yep. And that's what John was not taking into account. It's like, yeah, maybe we can put walls up so that we don't see each other and we don't fight with each other. And, that, you know, we can solve some of the violence. But all of our cultures will slowly die if we mm-hmm. do that. And and I, I know that's like a, it's like an abstract thing to say, but I believe that's that's the case. Yeah. All right. So he also said that white people are under attack and that we need to support each other and to defend ourselves. And I brushed that off too. Okay. Um, and the reason is that I, I don't feel like I'm under attack. Okay. Um, at least not exactly. But when I turn on the news and I hear people in the media and social media talking about race relations, they, they continue to tell me that white is bad and white is wrong and I'm white. They continue to tell me that um, in all sorts of ways. You know, it's like if I if I've committed a crime and I'm white, I'm somehow more guilty. You know, if I get accused of rape and I'm white, I'm somehow more guilty. If I've done well for my life and I'm white, I must have done something unfair. Um, You know, this is what I'm being told. Yeah, and um, and I cannot tell you all that without agreeing in some way that white people are under attack. Yeah. Um, I don't exactly understand it, and I don't feel in danger myself, but I kind of do. I kind of do like from from um, like a professional standpoint. Sure. I kind of do. Yeah. And um, that's scary. Yeah. So should we ha- should we have our antenna up to this? Should we, you know, as white people? God, it's just I don't even like saying that. But should we? That's a problem. It is I pro- think it is a problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're like, I can't even call myself a white person, you know, Yep. like, go fuck yourself. I yeah. mean, <laughs> like, uh. There's no problem at all. And I mean, we've talked in this podcast about how identifying as white is kind of dumb. Um, That being said, if you are lumping me into this category with white people and saying white people are bad, then no, fuck you. You know, like Mm. it's you doing it at that point.
0: That's a really good point that you bring up, that it's that the people who are defining the group is not the people in the group. It's the people who are hating on the group. Yeah. It's the people who are pointing the finger and saying, you people are bad. You, they're the ones drawing the line around us. And that's pretty fu- pretty interesting because, it, because it's not fair. Yeah. It does make you defensive. And if you do it to any of them,
1: it's a huge fucking problem.
0: Mm, interesting. It's
1: so fucked up, man. And, like, I don't really feel that in danger either because white people are, you know, white people... That was finger quotes, you guys. The majority, you know, and we're like largely well armed, you know. But on some level, I look at like what's going on in this country. And I think that like if the media could stir minorities up into a, you know, like a white bashing, um, what's the word, pogrom. Mm. um, I think that a lot of white people would like lay their head down on the chopping block. Like I worry about that.
0: I think you're right and I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, you know, like there is an instinct and I know this as a father now very well to sacrifice yourself. There is yeah. there's a reason why the story of Jesus is a powerful story. To voluntarily sacrifice is considered to be noble by everyone. Yeah. And to sacrifice the greatest thing is considered the greatest act. To sacrifice your life is the most powerful act you can make. And I would do that for my kids because sure. because of the love of a parent. But there are people that would do that to make a political statement. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, there there probably not a lot. There's a, there's a bunch that would say they would, but there, oh, yeah. there are a few that would, that would say, I'm, I'm laying my neck on the chopping block to make up for the, for the, you know, the evil that other people who look like me that I have nothing to do with has done, has done to, to the world.
1: Right. My eyes just rolled back into my head. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's fucking stupid. Um,
0: and those yeah. those people those people would we could call a word from a word that a word that you hear you hear popping up from coming out of Joe's mouth from time to time that comes from porno
1: yeah cuck absolutely those
0: are a bunch of cucks those are
1: they are race cucks for sure a cuck is a guy who watches his wife get fucked um they're race cucks they like they want to be made to feel bad you know like they need to be mm. um what's the word I'm looking for? Just like degraded and just humiliated.
0: So this is the thing, man. I think people have an instinct to sacrifice. It's connected with love in every way. Yeah. And people who, who express their love or identify with love in a, in a way like that, like in a, like in a racial way or a cultural way or something like that. Those people, um, express their express the will to sacrifice accordingly. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I, this is my, this is my thought here that with the, the family being in the condition that it's in today it's been diminished tremendously yeah for sure so many people don't have kids or, or spouses anymore or at least not till much later in life that people don't people don't love and therefore sacrifice for the right things anymore but they still have the instinct to do it so they're throwing it at these grand ideas yeah that's interesting that's what that's there's something to that man mm-hmm. because it's like a, it's like a search for meaning like Jordan would like Jordan Peterson would you know, say.
1: That like activates the conspiracy theory part of my mind and it makes me think like is the reason that like feminism was started was so that we could pull women out of having families and get them involved politically?
0: Oh man. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, so look t- to the extent that politicians play the long game, um, I think the liberals do it way better than the oh, conservatives. Oh, for sure, it's like super obvious to yeah. me. But that far down the road, like, you know, I'm not writing that off. I think that's something that, like, unintended consequences. You never know, like, h- how far it's going to go. Yeah. But might it have been done that way with that in mind? I can't. I can't say no to that. That's, sure, that's interesting, man.
1: Yeah. And and even if it wasn't created for that, that is exactly the effect that it has had. Yeah, um, and
0: as soon as people realized it had that effect they would I and mean, oh, use into it, it. For oh sure. yeah that's a tool baby yep absolutely um, <sighs> boy it's dark it's dark so one last thing from John, from John the conversation with John You remember when he said that people divide themselves up and if you make them the same that they'll find ways to divide themselves up like we agreed for on sure, that for yeah. sure like, even if you were all white and you're all the same culture like you, you, was, you would sit at the different lunch table with the stoners and with the jocks, absolutely so that kind of thing um he so he said that when you when people of different persuasions interact, that there's conflict. Then he said that order will never last because even he agreed that even in a homogenous situation, people would break down into into division and violence and bickery and all that sort of stuff. Was it would happen so that order even in a perfect world would never last? And the thought I had on that that I didn't didn't say maybe wish I would have said is that and I I just wrote yeah so embrace the chaos. Adopt, adapt to it, or you will always be vulnerable and afraid. So you've got to adapt to it. And his solution is when the chaos breaks down, you have to reestablish order by building up the walls. And I'm saying, no, you've got to tear tear down the walls and learn to ride the wave. You got okay. you got to, you got to jump on that surfboard and learn to fucking ride. Yeah. Adapt to the chaos, become the chaos, something like that. What do you think?
1: I mean, I like that. I think that that is ultimately in the long run going to be a more effective way of dealing with those problems um, because you're just not going to be able to keep people out forever. I mean, it's it's just not possible.
0: seems to me like learning to ride the wave makes you stronger. Sure. And building a wall higher makes you weaker.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: And that is not commentary about the border, by the way. That's just... That's just Built a, a wall. Yeah, uh, okay. All right, so how does this stuff tie into the book that I brought up? Do you want to get there? Yeah, sure. All right. So so this thing about uh there's no such thing as progress and like the problems that we have are are, are like perennial. And then there's this thing that Jordan that we've talked about Jordan Peterson says, and you tell me if you remember this stuff. He brings up the logos he, and he talks about oh, yeah. the logos as as the word. And then he says that and that's basically a way of ta- a way of talking about consciousness in a mythological way. But what he says is that within human beings that we have the ability to speak and that that's connected with the same idea of the logos the thing that created the cosmos um and that when we speak truth it's powerful and mm-hmm. when we speak lies it's powerful and that we have to be careful about how we about the, what we say okay and nobody's more careful about what they say than yeah. did jordan peterson you know so anyway he talks about true speech and he says that that you're going to remember this, but you didn't agree with me the first time I brought this up. Okay. I'll try it again. He said that, that that you act in the world based on the information you have. Yep. And if the information is correct, if it's true information, then he says, then it is in formation with reality. So the information you're using to base your decisions and your actions on corresponds to the way the world really is. That's truth. That's truth. If it's based on lies... Then your actions are more likely to fail because you're basing them on shit that's not real. It's false. So there's something about truth, and and specifically in speech and action, that that results in good things. Yeah. And we all know the the, we all know a person that lies all the time. Sure. That that lies to themselves and lies to everyone else. And And they're a mess. And they're a mess. Yeah. And even the ones that are like stable. They live in this fake world. They're barely hanging on by a thread. That sucks, and they just think it's fine.
1: Yeah, you can't even imagine.
0: So this is what he means. So this is this idea of true speech. So I, I'm, I'm going to cue all of that up in your head, and then I want to read this. Okay. Parts of this.
1: So I'll say I did agree with you there. Like I, I mean, like I guess last time I listened to it, maybe I was hearing something different, and I imagine it was in my mind having to do with the fact that. I'm not sure that I believe in objective reality, but he's not really talking about objective reality there, really. I mean, he might think he is. I don't know. I mean, yeah. he's a smart guy, but like, basically that's a, a statement about perception in my mind in some way.
0: Yeah, that's a rabbit hole I'd love to jump down, but it's not what I prepared yeah, yeah, to do I, today.
1: But I, I, I get it this time. Yeah. I, I understand.
0: Okay, good. So that's the, that's the good point that I was trying to make. I would disagree with you in the sense that I think... I'm not sure it's possible to speak truth in a way that reflects objective reality. Maybe it is, I don't know. Yeah. But there are ways of doing it better and there are ways of doing I agree it worse. With that. Okay. Yeah, right. I agree with that. Alright, so here we go. So this is uh How Do You Kill Eleven Million People by Andy Andrews. And it starts off We're gonna read the whole thing. No, right no, now. No, no, no. <laughs> it's only like seventy pages long, so we could we could we could probably do it, but I'm not going to first thing I want to uh, I want to mention about it is you, you remember like the last oh man I don't know probably like the last five or six episodes of this podcast at some point I bring up the quote that people say about Plato that says all of philosophy is a footnote to Plato everyone is a footnote to Plato yep. and I find it interesting that this book opens up with a quote from Plato hey <laughs> so here we go it says and you, you're going to like this I think all right. it says the punishment which the wise suffer who refuse to take part in the government is to live under the government of worse men.
1: Hell yeah. <laughs> I do like that.
0: So, all right, so how many politicians have you seen, you know, given interviews or whatever, that you're like, how the fuck is this person in that office and I'm doing oh, what I yeah. do? Like, this, oh, yeah. this, guy, this person is a fucking moron. <laughs> how many times?
1: Do you remember in the movie Religious with Bill Maher? Oh, yeah. He's talking to, like, a senator or something like that. And, you know... I don't agree with Bill Maher and everything, but he's a pretty sharp guy, and he like twists the senator up, and the senator basically says, "Well, you don't have to pass an IQ test to be in whatever position he was in." Wow, it was fucking hilarious, man. But yeah, dumb. A lot of them are dumb.
0: A lot of them, yeah. With guys, it's just, these are elected officials. They're people. This is a popularity contest. Think about the think about the prom king from your from your high school. Think of, think about the student the student body president. Those people. It's a popularity contest.
1: Chris was prom king, by the way. Uh,
0: I might have been. I might have been prom king. Uh, thanks for thanks for bringing that up, buddy. Uh, but you know what? You know what I mean. It's it's a it's a popularity contest. The, the the student body president is not the smartest guy in the class. It's not the most capable guy in the class. It's the handsome guy. Yeah, with a lot of friends. Absolutely, that's who it is. And what Plato is saying here, which is just amazing, is that if you sit idly by and let these idiots run shit for you, you can't complain when they run shit into the ground. 100% and this goes back to what John said about there not being progress and things never change that Plato in 400 BC could be saying this that makes 100% sense in 2021 hell yeah shout out to shout out to John alright so um, shout out to Plato <laughs> shout out shout out to Plato alright so this thing this thing reads like a speech I think the guy is a speechwriter, like I mentioned but I've, I've highlighted a little bit so here we go for you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free those are probably the most famous words ever spoken on the subject of truth. But have you ever contemplated the meaning that comes to light by inverting this principle? So I'll say that again. For you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But have you ever considered the opposite to be true? That if you don't know the truth, you'll be in bondage. So that. That's what it means. That's the opposite of you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Have you considered that, Kyle? That if you don't know the truth that you're somehow a slave? Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. So It's like the Matrix. I mean,
0: well, think about this whole COVID situation. Yeah, sure. In the beginning, the, the "quote unquote" truth was that it was super contagious. It was a it was a man made virus, and everyone was going to die. Yep. And it made us slaves. It made us it made us captives in our houses. Hell yeah, dude! And it was false. Okay.
1: And we're still basically captives in our houses. I mean,
0: and how many other examples are there? Maybe throughout
1: history, just you know.
0: Maybe the idea that this is the land of the free and the home of the brave, maybe something like that. Are we really free? You know, I mean, we've had t- you've you've been the the guy on this podcast shouting out in that particular bullhorn. Yeah, are we really free?
1: I mean, in my mind, that is a uh, samizdat propaganda. You know, it's it's like nation long propaganda. You're free. You guys are badass. You're free. You know. Mm. I don't know. It doesn't seem like we're free right now.
0: Does it? So all right. So Andy Andrews, the author, he, he quotes this a little later. This is a, something from his personal experience. and he, he doesn't get specific, but you'll know what I mean. He says, Once I watched on television as the President of the United States resigned his office in disgrace. At that time, it did not occur to me that the nation was in so much tor- turmoil and the President was in so much trouble. Not because of what had been done, but because he had lied about it.
1: Mm.
0: What president are we talking about here, Kyle?
1: That would be uh, Richard Nixon. Tricky
0: Dick Nixon. Tricky Dixon. So that gentleman... Tricky Dixon. (laughs) That gentleman was impeached. Not because of what happened, but because he knew about it and lied about it. Mm -hmm. So this is just evidence that even somebody in the highest office who doesn't adhere to the truth is subject to all of the consequences of that. Yep. Here we go. Next quote: He says, "Sometime during my study of the Dark Ages and Middle Ages, I uncovered an old and odd paradox that existed in our minds about time gone by. It is a difference most people don't discern between history and the past. Simply stated, the past is what is, what, is, what is real and true, while history is merely what someone recorded." It might be shocking for many of us to realize that what we know as history can actually be a total fabrication created from the imagination of someone with an axe to grind. Or perhaps, and it certainly happened in the Middle Ages, history was simply recorded by the man with the sharpest axe.
1: So, I don't want to, like, steal any thunder here. No, you go ahead, but But I just feel like this, this book's about the Holocaust.
0: We're getting there, yes.
1: We're. This is. I, I have a feeling it's not going to be. But this is going in the direction, possibly, of being super controversial.
0: <laughs> what do you, Well, let's just ju- cut to the chase. Where do you think we're going here? Um. Well,
1: I I know that there's a big debate on the internet uh, about the number.
0: Of, of deaths. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: people- you're not allowed to like talk about that though. Okay, so, so th-
0: these are the same people, like the same people that are Holocaust deniers or something that are saying that. Maybe, I mean, maybe people-
1: So saying Holocaust denier in my mind makes it like black and white. It's like you either think that it was six million and it happened exactly the way it's in the history books. or zero, or you're saying that it was it was all a fake. You know, it was okay. all a. Uh, I, so
0: I don't want to stop your momentum, but I have to point out that I just fell victim to the manipulation of language that manipulates our thoughts just like we've been talking about I did it just now without realizing it when I said Holocaust denier because that's one of those words that was invented to draw a circle around people so that we could criticize them and go ahead Kossar
1: so I mean have you ever heard of the dude Nick Fuentes sounds familiar He, he I mean he's this like kind of really controversial right-wing troll um but i mean he you know he talks about the news he's like a talking head on the internet he's like a young guy he's like 20 22 or something but he's he's a smart kid he's very right-wing and he is a troll he goes on there and he tries to say like controversial shit and he went on there and he did this this bit about um the cookie monster baking six million cookies oh boy and how it like doesn't add up you know like there's a like i don't understand how they did that that quickly kind of thing uh Uh, and yeah i mean you know he's like canceled he's like off of the internet now
0: interesting well there's some interesting details in here that will help a little bit but what's interesting about this last line and i just the way he wrote it was so great about you know that the people writing history are the ones that have an axe to grind. There's someone with an agenda. They want to paint a picture and a narrative that other people believe. Yep. And then he said that person's usually the one that has the sharpest axe, meaning the one that killed his way into that position. Yep. And then, you know, the history is written by the victor. We we know that, you know. Anything else on that, bud?
1: Um I think that that is a topic that I've talked about from the beginning of this podcast wanting to like really dig into uh, and I haven't been able to do the work on it um but that is still something that interests me a lot like people who have alternative theories about history and maybe have some evidence for it too you know but like it's kind of like what happens with graham hancock you know oh yeah i don't think that the theories that graham hancock is um proposing are unrealistic at all you know like maybe they're not true but i don't look at those and go like that's definitely bullshit you know uh, I look at that and I'm like, that's fucking interesting.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an exa- I'll give the audience an example. So, Graham Hancock's one of these guys that talks about the possibility that human beings had high civilization before the Stone Age, uh, before the Ice Age, rather that got wiped out by the uh, by the glaciers, and all the evidence is gone, and that maybe stories about like Atlantis and high culture, mm-hmm. uh, m- maybe there's hints of truth in them. And in his latest book. Who, title, I can't remember now. It's, it focuses on North America. And he's...
1: America Before.
0: America Before. Thank you. Yeah. And he talks about um, Serpent Mound. Which, yeah. Which Kyle, yeah. Kyle and I are from Ohio, and I don't believe either of us have ever seen I, I want to go so bad. I would, I would like to go. And there's no reason why we shouldn't have been we there already. We should go. So he talks about Serpent Mound, which is this long effigy. It's a, it's a mound that's built in the shape of a snake with kind of a wall around it. It's big. It's really stylized. It's interesting. Um, and he said, look, the... Historians say this was built by the Adena, the Hopewell people uh, that lived, you know, in southern Ohio way back when, you know, and it was like I don't remember a couple couple thousand years ago, and uh, then Graham Hancock shows up and puts a drone in the air and sees how it's positioned and says, well, actually, it, it's it it has a, an alignment to this to this star system. Ten thousand five hundred years ago, or sixteen thousand years ago. Yeah. So maybe like like lots of monumental architecture, this thing was a lot was built in with a, a celestial alignment, and um, we can't write off because there's no physical evidence that says what age this is. That this thing goes back way way longer than people agree that it does. I think,
1: I think what he says is that it's positioned in such a way that the head of the serpent is pointed at a gap between two like cliffs. Yeah. And that the sun sets right between that yeah. on the the summer solstice. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting when you get evidence like that because it's it's an interesting kind of evidence. It's like, okay, it's plausible. It makes you wonder, but there's not a whole there's not much you can do to prove it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's interesting. That's that's the kind of shit that makes like watching ancient aliens interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. It's like I want to hear the fringe stories. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I I think there's got to be some truth in the fringe stories to maybe not all of them, you know, I don't think that all of the fringe stories, but you think about um like Grimm's fairy tales, you know, those like old old German stories that they've been telling each other in that area for a long time. I mean, there's like truth in those, you know. Okay, so
0: when you brought that up just now, are you remembering an episode of I want to say I want to say Radio Lab, but maybe it was This American Life. It's an NPR. I don't know. Dude. I don't think so. All right, so I' sorry to sidetrack, but oh, I got I got to tell the story, the story about the um, uh, what is it called? The fiddler, the, not the fiddler, the, pi- the pipe, the pipe, the, the pipe, piper story. Yeah. yeah, did we talk about this already? I don't think so. All right, so there's a for those guys who, if you don't remember, there's an, an ancient story, an an old story, uh, about the pied piper, and the story goes that um, that a. That a town had this terrible problem with rats in the Middle Ages, and that was very common, and plague was a big deal. And, oh, yeah. you know, the, the rats would get so bad that these towns would basically pay, like, groups of hunters and trappers and stuff to, to clean up the rats as much as they can because they're a nuisance, they're a health problem, that kind of thing. So the story goes that one of these towns had this terrible rat infestation, and this traveling piper shows up. And you know, these are people that I guess that would go around playing music for money or telling histories while they're playing music like minstrels or bards or something, and he said he would, for a price, he would clean up the rats. So the town all agreed they would pay him, even though he was asking for an extraordinary amount of money. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we'll, we'll go ahead and pay him because the problem's so bad, we'll empty the coffers, we'll get rid of this problem. So they, they agree. He goes out, he starts playing his flute, his pipe, and the rats respond, by pouring out of the buildings and out of the alleyways and out of the garbage dumps and they single file walk down to the river and jump in. So all of the rats drown themselves because they've been hypnotized by the music of the piper. The Piper then goes back to the, uh, to the assembled community and says, I've solved your rat problem, please pay up. And they say, oh, we're so grateful you did, but clearly it was quite easy for you. We're only going to give you this much money. So mm-hmm. they fuck the piper. And the piper says, um, "You know, are you sure you want to do that? And they said, uh, yes, um, fuck off. And so the, so the Pied Piper disappears. The, ne- the next morning, all of the children in the community are gone. Because the Pied, Pied Piper played his tune, and all of the children left their houses and left the alleyways and walked to the river like the rats and jumped in and drowned. Damn. That motherfucker killed all of the kids in the community because they refused to pay what they were owed. And everyone knows you pay the Piper. That's where we get this from, that fucking story. How cool is that part? Pretty cool. Part number two. There's a church in this, in this place that exists today, in this town in Germany where, this, where the uh, story originated, that has a stained glass window. And the stained glass window tells a story. There's images on it, tells a story. It's the only remaining piece of evidence of what actually happened that that story is based on. Mm-hmm. And here's the gruesome reality. That it was during a time where they didn't have a lot of food and people were starving. Mm. And so they would send their kids away to family or they would send them just into the fucking wilderness. <sighs> like, we can't afford to feed you, go. Damn. So something like that happened in this community. Nobody quite knows the details, but there's, there's record of it in the stained glass window in the church yeah. that all of these kids were sent away without adults, without, without a safety net. They were just sent away. And the dirty secret of that event that probably resulted in all sorts of death and hardship and torment and pain, that that they commemorated this by making this stained glass mirror, and then nobody fucking ever talks about it. And now we tell this weird story about a Pied Piper as a consequence. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy as hell. So the point is, there is grains of truth in some of these stories, and you don't know what that is, yeah. you know? Yep. I think a lot of that, that's, that Pied Piper
1: story is great for that. Uh, but... Things that there are, in my opinion, less evidence of. A lot of people think that people like Odin and Thor were like real people, like like based mm-hmm. on ancient Nordic kings and things like that.
0: That's not far-fetched to me.
1: I don't think so either. And it's fucking cool.
0: <laughs> so, so Jordan Peterson talks about heroes, and he talks about meta-heroes. Yeah. And stories and meta-stories. And what he basically says is if you have somebody like... Uh, George Washington and Abraham mm-hmm. Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt and they're all great American American figures that a thousand years in the future there's going to be a, a different story we tell about a guy that has characteristics of George Washington and mm-hmm. Teddy Roosevelt oh, yeah. and Abraham Lincoln and it's a better story. Yep. It's not just the chopping down the cherry tree and the yeah. and the and the rough riders of Cuba. It's, yeah, not, it's, it's all yeah, that stuff yeah. mixed together and it's one guy. Yep. And, and then he went out
1: into the desert kid. and got tempted. All <laughs> <I love> of that.
0: <laughs> And so that's what happens. Those stories those stories get consolidated mm-hmm. and they get better and better and better until you have no longer a cultural hero or a historical character but you have a god or a great king of old, you know? Yeah. So that hell could, yeah. that could easily be the case. Yeah, man. Yeah. So cool maybe, as hell. Yeah. You, you hear about that with King Arthur, you know, if you've ever yeah. seen those documentaries or like there's there's Artorius, the Ro- the Roman that lived in the G- British Isles around that time and there's various other kings that they think might have been hodgepodge together to make this cool. King Arthur story. Interesting. Interesting, but that's the question, man. Where's where's the truth in these stories? And you know, if there is some, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, and like I do, th- I think that there is truth in those. And I don't just mean like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, the uh, not theoretical truth, but you know what I mean? Like truth uh, that you're deriving from a story. I think that there might be like biographical truth in there somehow. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I just
0: you know, that's cool as hell. So what's more interesting then? The way in which we, the the stories that we tell like that or the things that we're trying to hide by telling those stories?
1: Oh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, That's a good question. Uh, But that kind of ties into what I was saying there and I just kind of trailed off. Um, It's like, we lost the details of those old stories, so there's just like kernels of that biographic truth that maybe there was somebody named Odin, something like that, but that process is still happening with the the past from fifty years ago, you know oh, yeah. we lose it uh and but uh, I don't know
0: it's interesting, man
1: yeah, one of these days i'm going to figure i'm gonna I'm gonna be a historian, that's it. I'm going <laughs> back to college
0: so my, my buddy Josh who was on the podcast he went, he's in the works of trying to get his own up and running and he's calling that. Uh, faith, fringe, and freedom. So I told him next time he comes on, Triple F, we're baby. just going to focus on fringe. I just want—I want to talk about fringe. But oh. all right, let me get back to Andy. Unless you have anything else you want to add? Nope. No. Nope, right, let's so, get to it. So Andy goes on. He says, "Very few of us intentionally connect the truth of the past with the realities of where we have ended up today. So is the truth of the past even important? What about the truth itself? Does the truth really, really matter? Question mark." Then he answers the question. He says, to answer that question effectively, I would ask you another question. How do you kill 11 million people? <coughs> so here we go. Here we go. So, all right, guys. He, he asked the question. He said, is the truth of the past important? So like, we could tell histories, but we could also tell the truth of what happened. Is that important? Is the truth important or just the stories we tell? And then he says, does the truth matter at all? And he's going to answer that question by telling you how you kill 11 million people. All right. And then he says, the actual number is 11,283,000, the number of people recorded who were killed by Adolf Hitler between the years 1933 and 1945. Does that count like, I mean, is that counting like the war or something? Let me continue. Because okay. Because he talks about this. He says, incidentally, that particular figure only represents institutionalized killings. It does not include... German civilians and military war dead. Neither does it include 28,736,000 Europeans killed during World War II as a result of Hitler's um, aggressive political policies. So there's all different kind of numbers that you could throw in there, and if you tally them all up, we're looking at way more than 11 million. We're looking at 40 million. Mm -hmm. But then he goes on, he says... We could have used the number of Cambodians put to death by their own government, slightly more than three million between the years 1975 and 1979. Here, listen to this: three million from a total population of eight million. Damn, there were eight million Cambodians, and three million of them were killed between 75 and 79. That's fucking crazy. I don't even, I don't even know about that. Listen. listen. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I know about that conflict, but I did not know.
0: Is that, is that Paul Pot?
1: I think, but yeah, yeah, it's like Khmer Rouge. Yeah,
0: that's like my ignorance. I don't even... Yeah. I've heard of it. But I didn't know. He, he goes <laughs> on. He says, We could have used the exact figure of 61,911,000. That is the number of people who were murdered by the government of the Soviet Union, shown by their own records, between the years 1917 and 1987. But only 54,767,000 of the men, women, and children put to death by the Communist Party were officially Soviet citizens. Right, so Mm -hmm. sixty, almost sixty-two million died. Fifty-five million of them were not Soviet citizens. He said that that is fourteen thousand three hundred twenty-two human lives for every word in this book.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Wow, that is insane. So he's making a point. Yep, he's making a point that all of these people died because people didn't tell the truth. Okay, what did you write down, Kyle? Let's talk. No, no, no. Just you. Just keep going. All right. So I'll skip ahead to the next thing I highlighted. He says. What we need to understand is how 11 million people allowed themselves to be killed.
1: That's a fucking great question, right? That's what I'm that's what I'm interested in right now.
0: Now, I skipped over the part where he where he says we could talk about the logistics, we could talk about how they did it, we could talk about, you know, what methods they used, but what we should be talking about is how these 11 million people allowed it to happen to themselves. Sure. Fuck, man. That does a couple things. It points the finger back at the victims which is weird and it's hard to it's hard to take victim blaming victim blaming that's another word that we use now that we never fucking used before (laughs) but it does seem weird but also it seems like a valid question because because there's way more people who weren't Nazi army members than there and than there were people being rounded up by them and put on put on trains
1: sure Uh,
0: go ahead I mean
1: well, what is the point of that, that there's way more of the, the people?
0: Well, let me keep, let me keep reading because he talks about it in more detail. He okay. says, he says how, can, how can a condemned group of people headed for a gas chamber be compelled to act in a docile manner? So another question, how could they let it happen? But how could they be on a train and still be calm and letting it happen? Okay. He said, the answer is breathtakingly simple, and it's a method still being used by some elected leaders to achieve their goals today. And he repeats the question. How do you kill 11 million people? Lie to them. Okay. So before we go any further, I mean, I know I know how you're going to answer this question, but how do you feel about the communication you get from the government and the media? How much of it do you think is honest and how much of you think is a lie? Um, or a partial lie?
1: I think that they pretty much only tell the truth when the truth is actually beneficial to them. You know, when the truth of a subject is going to move, they think move the, the masses in the way that they want. Um, or if they like have to, you know, if there's a, you know, something comes out and it's like hard to get around. But you'd be fucking surprised how often they still try to do it.
0: It's it's amazing. It, yeah. It's, there's that lady, uh, what's her name? The uh, press secretary lady that's on the news all the time now. Jen Saki. Oh, was that here to say your name? Yeah, start, start, I, maybe
1: it's Pasaki. I don't, I don't know. I think no I think, it, I think but, it's sake. but
0: you know that's the one. And then there was yeah. the one, the one that with Obama too, just as bad. But these are spin doctors, and their yeah, yeah. job is to spin everything. So you have something like um, you have something like the the violent. BLM protests, and then you get someone who comes on the news and says mostly they're peaceful mostly protest. peaceful. <laughs> yeah, that is a lie. The
1: building behind him burning, he's like literally a burning <laughs> yes. building. That's so funny.
0: Th- that's spin, it's manipulation, yeah. and it's not the truth. The moment you put a narrative on it, it's not fact anymore, it's a story. Yeah, and that's that's a lie as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's an example. Um, you know, th- and there's all sorts of examples that we could talk about with COVID, you know, yeah. things that have things that have been said and then changed and said and then changed yep um so that's the way i look at it i look at it all as spin and uh um what did they say about the evacuees they said uh oh they said they said that the people the people who get left behind are the ones who didn't want to leave like we can't do anything about the ones that don't want to leave the ones that are in afghanistan Mm -hmm. so just another example everything is spin and to me that's that's a lie and we allow ourselves to be lied to and we and people like all the great you know friends and family members I have that are liberals, uh, my buddy Sam, my grandma come to mind, my uncle John, <laughs> that all of these people absorb those lies willfully. Yeah, that that is what he's pointing at. He's saying if you let that happen, like Jordan Peterson said, you now are living in a world that somebody else has created for you that does not reflect reality. It's it's a it's a mined towards labyrinth of chaos that, you, that you're that you going to find yourself in that you've intentionally let yourself be put in. Yeah. What do you think, man? Anything else to add?
1: Um, I think that this stems back to something we were talking about, I think, last Sunday, um, where people just don't know how to think, you know? People don't know how to... You have to... I, you know, I think that maybe there are a bunch of different ways to do this, but you have to have some idea of what you, I mean, this sounds like, this sounds kind of liberal, but what your own truth is so that you can like hold yourself to it. And then, I mean, you know, like, I just feel like, like we were talking about, people aren't educated to, um, you know, use critical thinking. It's not like a part of the curriculum at all. So I I just think that that's like the solution to this kind of a thing.
0: No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think people build their strength of character. By the experiences that they have and the things that they choose to expose themselves to. Mm-hmm. And the people who don't have those experiences and don't expose themselves to those things, those people are largely gullible. Yeah, They're the people that want someone to do the work for them. It's like, hey, paint the picture for me so I can swallow it and I don't have to come up with the story. Yeah, that's, yeah. you know, and, and the right does it and the left does it. I'm not, sure, I'm not pointing it one, it one way. Yeah. All right, so here we go. Back to Andy. He says, an intricate web of lies to be delivered in stages was designed to ensure the co- cooperation of the condemned but unknowing Jews. First, as barbed wire fences were erected, encircling entire neighborhoods, Adolf Eichmann or his representatives met with Jewish leaders to, assume, to assure them that the physical restrictions being placed upon their community and what later became, became known as ghettos were only temporary necessities of war. As long as they cooperated, he told them, no harm would come to those inside the fence." Second, bribes were taken from the Jews in the promise of better living conditions. The bribes convinced the Jews that the situation was indeed temporary and that no further harm would befall them. After all, they reasoned, why would the Nazis accept bribes if they only intended to kill us and take, take everything anyway? The first two stages of deception were conducted to prevent uprisings or even escape. Finally, Eichmann would appear before a gathering of the entire ghetto. According to sworn statements, these were very likely his exact words. So now I'm going to read the speech that Adolf Eichmann gave to the Jews who he just trapped in the ghettos and wrapped barbed wire, wire around him and said, everything's fine. The hair on the back of my neck is standing up right now. This is what he said. Jews, at last, it can be reported to you that the Russians are advancing <laughs> on our eastern front. Okay, let me just stop there. First thing he, they say is, Fear, fear, fucking fear! Yep. The same thing we hear every single day on the news. All day, every day. Okay, so at last it can be reported that Russians are advancing on our Eastern Front. I apologize for the hasty way we brought you into our protection. Unfortunately, there was little time to explain. You have nothing to worry about. We want only the best for you. You will live here shortly and be sent to very fine places indeed. You will work there, your wives will stay at home, your children will go to school, you will have wonderful lives. We will all be terribly crowded excuse me, we will all be terribly crowded on the trains, but the journey is short. Men, please keep your families together and board the rail cars in an orderly manner. Quickly now, my friends, we must hurry. So it's not just fear, it's we're we're gonna protect you. We're gonna take care of you. And and just like a pushy salesman, it's we gotta do it now. We yeah. gotta do it now, now, now. You can't think. Just do it, just do it now. Yep. Danger, Russians coming, go, come on, go. go. Yeah. All right, he continues. He says, um, the containers designed to transport eight cows, these were the train cars they were in, Mm -hmm. were each packed with a minimum of 100 human beings and quickly padlocked. So once they agree to get in there, they're shoving them in there by the, you know, sardine cans and locking them up. Yeah. And he says, and at that moment, they were lost. Anything on that?
1: Um, That's terrifying uh that is with everything that is going on in the world right now something that i'm very worried about um and
0: who's 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 pushing back against mask mandates nobody mand- mandates who's pushing back against you know the, hardly uh, anyone this the what, contract tracing the you know mm-hmm. who's, who's pushing back on any of that
1: vaccine passports vaccine passports um you know now did you hear the ohio state did you hear about this no they, um, all students, faculty, and staff have to be vaccinated.
0: Or else you're kicked out of school? I guess so. Do they get a refunded Fired? Tuition? Come on.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I just, you know, we're Chris and I are from Ohio, and we grew up down in Columbus. And I have, I don't, I'm not really a big sports guy, but I love the Buckeyes. Um, Buc- You know, yeah. I've got like, a, I've got love for the Buckeyes to the point that I've got hate for Michigan, you know? <laughs> um, but... I hope that these parents who, if they do have to pay, I hope they sue Ohio State out of existence. Like I, I want Ohio State to be gone. I, uh, uh, you I'm know, I'm with you. I'm with you. Fuck that, man. Um, I don't know. It, it, like all of this is really like freaking me out.
0: It and it should be, and that's the point that that Andy's making here is like, pay attention. Yeah. What I'm telling you is happening now. Pay yeah. attention. So let me, I'm going to read like a, a little bit of a longer stretch and then it will be almost done. But I want to give this to you because this was really interesting to me. All right. He says, the National Socialist German, German Workers' Party, led by Adolf Hitler, rose to power during a time of economic uncertainty and a nation of people longing for better times. Does that sound familiar? Yep. I feel it. He says, he promised more and better and new and different. He vowed rapid change and swift action. <laughs> I mean, I that's got Obama's name all over it. Hope and change it's right now. It's got
1: all of these people. I mean, all, you know, yeah, I mean, Obama was kind, that was that was his slogan, you know, but that's been like that sounds exactly like AOC. Oh yeah. That sounds exactly like all of them. Well, it I sounds like Bernie. Who comes to mind right now is build back better. Build back better. Build back better. Absolutely. We promise more and better anew. Uh, it's fucking ridiculous, man. It's like uh History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, you know?
0: <laughs> Listen to this, man. And I've got a great, I've got a great reference uh, for this one. He says, what Hitler, what Hitler actually said in his speeches depended very much upon the audience. In agricultural areas, he pledged tax cuts for farmers and new laws to protect food prices. In working-class neighborhoods, he talked about redistribution of wealth and attacked the, five, uh, or the high profits generated by business owners. When he appeared before financi- financiers or captains of industry, Hitler focused his plans to destroy communism and reduce the power of trade unions. How fortunate for leaders, Hitler said to his inner circle, that men do not think. Make the lie big, make it simple, keep saying it, and eventually they will believe it. And that was a direct quote, that last last sentence from Hitler. So what comes to my mind there is, you remember the movie The Campaign? Yes. Uh, it's got Will Ferrell in it and it's got uh, what's his name Zach Galifianakis and there's a scene in the beginning it's like a montage of the uh, of the Republican politician which is which is uh, uh, Feral and he's giving speeches to different groups of people and every group of people he talks to is the backbone of America and at the very end he's like Filipino tilt a world operators are this nation's backbone. <laughs> this is this is what Hitler did. He went around yeah. to every group, promising whatever he thought would, uh, would would get them to vote for him. Yeah. Do I need to point out? Do I need to point out that's exactly what happens today?
1: Mm-hmm. Jesus, that's right. it, 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 yeah, it's disturbing.
0: And Hitler's Hitler's quote here: How fortunate for leaders that men do not think. Make the lie big. Make it simple. Keep saying it and eventually they will believe it. And this is this is what this is what the news cycle is like. Every time you turn on the news, it's the same message over and over and over. Say it and keep saying it, and eventually people will believe it. Yep. So this is this is what he's he's obviously talking about Hitler, but pay attention. All right, now he says in, in Mein Kampf. He says Hitler says this the great masses of the people will more easily fall victim to a big lie than a small one. So I don't know where to point the finger in this day and age, at at the big lie. Yeah. But I mean, keep your eyes open for it. Yeah. You know, maybe it's already here. Maybe it's not.
1: Yeah. Maybe there's a bunch of big lies.
0: And here's here's the uh, maybe a bunch of big lies. Maybe maybe a whole cathedral of lies. Kyle. Maybe
1: we fall for big lies so easily that they don't even fucking care. They're just like they're gonna believe it.
0: Yeah. Well, I was just talking to my wife yesterday about how I never had any. Worries or thoughts that the elections were not valid, yeah, because it was such, it was such an impossible idea that they could be messed with and people wouldn't be up in arms about it. Sure. that I never occurred to me it was even possible. And now it's like, yeah, it's possible, and it's probably been happening since forever. Yeah. All right, here we go. He says uh, it is a fact that it is a fact that fewer than ten percent of, of Germany's population of almost eighty million people actively worked or campaigned to bring about Hitler's change. So the remaining ninety percent of Germans. Teachers and doctors and ministers and farmers did what? Stood by? Watched? Essentially, yes. Mothers and fathers held their voices, covered their eyes, and closed their ears. And when the Nazis came for their children, it was too late. Whew. Yeah, anything there before I keep going?
1: Um, I mean, when the Nazis are coming after these people's children, these people are Jews, I'm assuming? Well, I mean, that's a good question because it was definitely true with the Jews.
0: But yeah. think about the Hitler Youth
1: yeah. Oh, well, that's a good... That's I didn't think of it that way. They were yeah. kind of coming for your youth, for they sure. Were
0: absolutely. Yeah. Even, even the good German children, they were yeah, putting yeah. them in camps to indoctrinate them. Yep. Unbelievable. True. Coming for your children. All right, he says... Uh, I, I do think that... I don't know if
1: now is the best time to get to it, but I think that um, even this book falls victim to, I think, like lies... Throughout history, like things that have been, you know, the 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 truth about them has been like set off course just a tiny bit, but you you keep going, you know, and eventually it's way out there.
0: All it takes is a little a little change of course, yeah. Over time, it's a big makes a big difference.
1: And I think one of those things is that yes, Hitler is bad. Okay, we're not fucking. uh, I I want to say the R word. I'm not going to, but I want to. Good for you. Um, we're not that okay uh yes hitler's bad but you know there's this uh idea about blowback that i know you know about and with what's going on in afghanistan you have to imagine that what would convince a nation to do what hitler did and what would convince people to be okay with that well it's being pushed around it's being shit on by the entire world okay and if you know the history of World War One, it's, I mean, it was a world war, so it was bad, but it's not like the big boogeyman bad, like World War Two, Right. Which, yes, again, Hitler is a boogeyman, but it's more complicated than that. These things don't happen in a bubble, you know what yeah. I mean?
0: This, this guy focuses less on um, what these people did or didn't do. He focuses on well, he focuses on what they didn't do, basically. That's what he's focusing on. So we'll, we'll read a little bit more and you tell me what you think. This, okay. this this bit here, I didn't know all of it. So this is pretty interesting. He says, it wasn't only the Jews who were persecuted. Now that, of course, I knew. But this, the rest of it, I didn't know. He said, today, most of us are unaware that of the 11 million people exterminated, 5 million were not even Jewish. In Dachau, one of the largest and most infamous of all concentration camps, only a third were Jewish. Mm-hmm. He says we're all. He says we've all heard of the yellow triangles the Jews were forced to wear for identification. Do you know what the other colors were used for? So this is all news to me. Brown triangles were used to identify gypsies. They wore them on their arm, just like the Star of David. Uh, purple triangles were used to uh, for Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholic priests, and Christian leaders who ran afoul of the government. So even even religious leaders who didn't have the right opinions. Mm-hmm. Black triangles were were uh, marked vagrants. and He says. They were worn by any person lacking documentation when asked for proof of permanent address. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Blue triangles were forced on those who had moved to Germany from other countries. That's it. Wow. Red triangles were worn uh, if you were a member of a trade union, if you were a Democrat, a Freemason, or any member of categories labeled as political nonconformists. Pink badges identified homosexuals. Green badges were given... to to common thieves and murderers and since they were not suspect politically those prisoners that were called capos they were often in charge of the others those are the ones that were running the concentration camps the murderers and the thieves that were in jail for ordinary crimes yeah so all of those people were marked all of those people were um, subject to death in the the work camps Mm -hmm. did you know that man?
1: I did know a lot of those. I didn't know that there were armbands for them. I, that that was new to me.
0: I knew I knew that the gypsies, uh, because they were lumped in with the Jews, because there were people that didn't have a country, so the, I knew the gypsies were persecuted, and I knew homosexuals were persecuted. The rest of that was news to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's fucked up. Um, but, again, I think that there's a parallel to things that are going on today and things that the media tends to to stoke fear about. And that's like white supremacists, white nationalists. Um, and then you look at what is going on in America culturally with um, the the pushing of LGBT stuff and the teaching of it in schools. And I'm sorry, I don't have a problem with gay people. I have gay family members and I love them. And they're very important people to me. But I think that um sending my kid off to public school and the teachers telling them about sexuality that's not your place that's not what i'm sending my kids to school to you know i i just don't think it's appropriate preach um so exactly so that's like a you know there's that kind of stuff there's a, you know just a lot of like the liberal agenda like pushing things and you look at like Weimar Germany uh and what a you know, uh, like Sin City it was, you know. Uh, I just think that uh, you push things in that direction and you're bound to have a rebound. Mm. And if you demonize people, sometimes they lean into that kind of shit.
0: So I'm going to highlight that for a second because I think that's worth highlighting. So the point Kyle's making, for those people who don't know, is after this First World War, the Germans were laid low. What I mean, I don't remember all the details. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but but they had... A tremendous amount of money that they had to repay to all of the countries that were on the were on the winning side of the war, that were their countries got demolished, they wanted the Germans to help rebuild because it was their fucking fault, it was their bombs. So they basically taxed the Germans into oblivion so that the people were starving, that you know inflation was completely out of control, the money was worthless. It was really bad in Germany after the first world war because they couldn't afford to pay for all the shit they broke. Yep. So that was going down. And Hitler was able to easily convince people to to point the finger at the Jews and all the people that were the fingers was pointed at because it's easy to do that when shit's going that wrong. It's easy to do that. Um, the point that Kyle's making is that that's what's happening today with well with white people primarily with white men mostly um, and with the western with the western world against everyone else. I'll
1: tell you another thing that they're... And I feel like this might be the one that they're most successful with is vaxxed and unvaxxed.
0: Oh, yeah. There you go.
1: It's really getting its hooks into people.
0: So I I would not be surprised if the racial rhetoric doesn't kind of fall off Mm -hmm. until this COVID business is all done, because you're right. It's more effective, I think. Yeah. People are afraid for their lives. That's more effective than than, you know just racial components. It
1: makes me worried, too, because I don't think... Personally, uh, I hate to be. I don't. Try, I try not to be alarmist. You know, I try not to be pessimistic. But I don't think things are getting better. I think that. Um, I think we've got a, a rough road ahead of us. To be perfectly honest with you, and it makes me worried. Like, if things get bad, like, what what happens? You know, I'm, I'm with you. That makes you like we got what, to pay what, attention. What
0: What happened when the Germans got picked on for too long? It went too far. It was overboard. And at some point, the Germans decided to fight back. And what happened was the was the most terrible war of modern history. Mm-hmm. So the question is, if if everyone continues to pick on the Western world or the white men or the unvexed, if, if we continue to bully them and poke at them and poke at them and poke at them, what happens when they fight back? What, mm-hmm. ha- what happens then? That's what you should be afraid of that you know when when Joe Biden was calling for unity, that's what he was afraid of, obviously he's not the guy to carry that message because because it's it's completely hypocritical and nobody takes him seriously yeah but, I mean, unity is the right message yeah uh, how do we achieve that? How do we achieve that by 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 poking by poking at each other constantly
1: yeah that's that's a great point
0: doesn't seem doesn't seem effective to me Kyle no
1: nope. um
0: I think that John would like a lot of what we're saying. Probably. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) All right, so let me get back to this. Uh, There's a little bit left. All right, so he's talking now about an eyewitness who saw the um, trains go by uh, these various German cities on the way to the camps. An eyewitness said, we heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because we felt, what could anyone do to stop it? What can I do? Can't do anything. So you know how many people have felt that way about about politics. Yeah. All right. He goes on. He says, "With all we now know, does anyone believe that telling the truth will solve all of a nation's problems?" Of course not. But it's a beginning. In fact, speaking truth should be at the least we require of our elected leaders. After all, what are our standards for being led? That's a good goddamn question, Kyle.
1: Not what, much what, apparently.
0: Exactly. But what should they be? What do we want in a leader? We want Uh, want someone who's going to shoot us straight.
1: Yep. Yep. I want my leader to be more interested in leading people close to him than people, you know, like a nation. Interesting.
0: Yeah. A, A leader by example. It reminds me of uh, Joe Biden's last speech about Afghanistan when he came on the came on the news and he spent the first five minutes talking about himself and how great his accomplishments are. It was
1: that the four or five days interview? Uh
0: I don't know what you're referring to. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, well it's, <laughs> go ahead. It's nothing. Well, well, just so it was one of those this one of those um, recent touch points. He he gave a small interview, it was like four PM on a work day. Oh, and he, okay. he and he went out there and said, We're evacuating all the all the Afghanistans, we're gonna hear from the president. He comes out and says uh, he says about he says uh, about about his um bud, budget deal with getting passed and infrastructure and how great it's going to be and blah 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 oh, and at yeah. the very end a couple yeah. words about Afghanistan and then turned around and left with no questions yeah yeah so is that what you want in your leaders somebody who's going to come and tell you that he's great that you should think he's great for all these reasons and then turn around and walk away without hearing you
1: yeah, I saw a good meme about that. It was like President of the United States, and it was the back of his head. <laughs> he like turned around. <laughs> oh, that was a good one.
0: Oh boy! All right, where where did I leave off? Um, okay, he says the most dangerous thing any nation faces is is it is a citizenry capable of trusting a liar to lead them. In the lo- in the long run, it is much easier to undo the policies of crooked leadership than to restore common sense and wisdom to a deceived population. Willing to elect such a leader in the first place, so this is the same example like about that person you know who's deep, deep in their own lies and can never dig themselves back out. How easy is it going to be for you to help that person dig out of their nonsense? Impossible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's too much for one person to do, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that—that's the point he's making. Uh, he says, "Have you ever wondered why America doesn't have a balanced budget? Have you in your have you in your life?" Ever heard of a politician who wasn't for a balanced budget? Have you ever heard of a politician speak in favor of a complicated tax code that ordinary citizens would find difficult to understand? Then why do we have a complicated tax code that ordinary citizens find difficult to understand? Yeah. And he says, Meet the 545 men and women who enact every law, propose every budget, and set every policy enforced on the citizens of the United States of America. One president, nine Supreme Court justices... 100 senators, and 435 members of the House of Representatives. By the way, have you ever noticed that if any one of us lies to them, it's a felony? But if any one of them lies to us, it's considered politics?
1: Hell yeah. I, I'm loving this. Unbelievable. This is great. And
0: then he says, he asks a question at the end, he says, Can 311 million Americans ever hope to wrestle the power away from 545 people?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's interesting.
0: Listen, ladies and gentlemen. He, what he's talking about here is a balance of power. If there was an uprising, it it, it wouldn't take all of America. It was it would take part of the a couple of neighborhoods in Washington D.C. to sure. to march on on you know the Capitol.
1: Literally earlier today, uh, that dude Josh Smith, who's coming on the podcast um, next week, uh, he he was doing an interview with another guy that I love that I've talked about. I think in this podcast, Pete Quinonez, Um and. Pete was saying that. He was like, you don't even have to have all... Like, he was talking about those 500 whatever. It's like, you don't even have to have all of the country. You just have to have a bunch of fucking people. And that's it. You don't even have to have guns. You put the guns down. Mm -hmm. If you get 10,000 people, I think 10,000 might be enough. Might be enough. I mean... I don't know. I don't even know what we're talking about in Minecraft is what we're talking yeah. about doing this in Minecraft. So
0: this is I'll just circle back to something you said, Kyle. You said that what you would like in your leader, the standard you would like your leaders mm-hmm. to have is to lead by example. Is somebody who's more interested in showing people the right way to be and and helping out those people close to them that they can affect and not the people pointing fingers out at somebody in Timbuktu that they have no no impact on. Um and what he says what the, what Andy says here is have you ever noticed that if we lie to them, it's a felony; if they lie to us, it's politics? That's a double standard. Why don't we start there? How about yeah. how about that being being something uh, that we hold our leaders to? You have to be responsible the same way that I'm responsible. For why, sure. Why do we have? Why do we live in two separate worlds? That's great. You know, why Why does every single member of Congress have a high end health insurance policy, and everybody else is going to the exchange to the Obama exchange? Mm-hmm. Can't find those policies on the Obama exchange. This is, this is a great question. Mm-hmm. And he says, again, can 311 million Americans ever hope to wrestle the power away from 545? Then he answers his own question. He says, one would think so. But did you know that during the past quarter century, no presidential election has been won by more than 10 million ballots cast? Yet every federal election during the same time period had at least 100 million people of voting age who did not bother to vote. Fuck it. Exactly <laughs> it, man how can we ex- how can we expect our leaders like Plato said how can we expect our leaders to lead the way we want when we don't participate in the process and don't hold them to any standards whatsoever
1: yeah this is so I am like torn on this subject because I am you know I, I call myself an anarchist when I call my when I like have to call myself something um, but that being said I what uh, so you know, I, I've used the term Ancapistan before, right? It's the, the Ancap, anarcho capitalist paradise. Yep. Okay, so you're trying to create Ancapistan. So, what if you tie yourself to these ideas, these ideals of anarchy where you're not allowed to be a part of the government, you're going to let them put you on the boxcar.
0: Exactly. I mean, what what else can you do in that situation? If you're not participating, I guess you fight back. I guess you fight back. You lose in that situation. There
1: are different ways to fight back, okay? That's, that's a good point. Um, I think that I have respect for both of them. We'll just put it that way. Um, the people who decide to operate within politics and try to change things that way, I'm for those people. I don't think that they're like, you know, not anarchists or whatever the fuck.
0: Let me ask you a question, Kyle. Sorry to interrupt you. No, just you're down good, down man. Down.
1: I was I was done.
0: You know, I was just talking about the double standard. Yeah. Um, of the two political parties and the representatives that we see from, from the two political parties, is there one of them that you think is worse with the double standards?
1: Um, Being a person who considers myself to be more right-wing, I want to say the left, the Democrats, but... No, nah, I mean the Republicans are pretty fucking bad, man. You know they're just like bad about different stuff. They're just all fucking filthy, awful human beings, man.
0: I agree. I agree. I just can't get over the 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 fact that the BLM yeah protests were not called riots, and we're not, and we're not. Uh, it, we allowed all sorts of destruction and 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 you know mayhem to ensue in the name of fucking freedom of speech. But people march on the Capitol, and that's an insurgency. And, yeah, yeah, You know, so now we have to be worried about domestic terrorism and public policy has yeah, to yeah, change. Absolutely, that so,
1: shit's concerning.
0: It's very concerning.
1: Um, I I agree with you in the sense that the left has control of the media, so you hear more of their propaganda. Um, but I think that. Like, the, the double standards that come for, like, the Republicans, it's like they talk about balanced budgets all the fucking time, and they're just voting on every war bill, every, you know, they're, they're fucking, te- they're all, they all need to go. You, and I feel firmly
0: about that. Oh, and and he made that point by saying that everybody wants a balanced budget, but nobody ever gets one. Yep. And don't you ever wonder why? And then, uh, what else did he say? Um I lost my train of thought. Anyway,
1: um one thing. The things that the Republicans go out and talk about are things that are not going to affect those people. The um hot you know, to be a a, a congressperson, a senator, it it's almost like a class system. You're not going to get there unless you're of a certain class. You know what I mean? Yep. I'm sure there are exceptions. AOC was a bartender, although Let's not pretend like AOC did that herself. Like she was, uh, you know, the genius behind that campaign. Um, I think that AOC is smart, don't get me wrong. But I don't think that she's like a political genius who got herself elected. I mean, you know.
0: Yeah, man, I don't know. But but anyways,
1: what I was saying, I'm sorry, was uh, the stuff that the Republicans talk about, like transgenders, none of that stuff is going to affect them. The stuff that they talk about is a distraction from the stuff that they're doing the stuff that they are pushing through every fucking day uh which is bailouts for giant corporations wars you know patriot act uh you know spot you know all just all kinds of awful awful shit
0: so do you think that the free speech um component to uh the preferred pronouns and all that stuff that circles the transgender uh, debate do you think that the republicans are insincere about arguing for that that's all still a distraction and that really yeah, they because a, they don't give a shit who, because i
1: think you know 10 years from now when there's some kind of free speech thing that they were like no you can't say that then they'll do that you know like 100 i have do you have any doubt about that that 10 15 years from now if the Republicans if you know this stupid fucking paradigm is still going that long but in the history like look back you know um, they're just they don't stand for anything none of them ever do
0: I can't argue with you I mean there's like how many exceptions Uh, both of them are named Paul (laughs) exactly I mean there's like
1: Thomas Massey is pretty good Um, (laughs) Justin Amash is great Yeah. yeah. but yeah they all suck man Ron and Rand Paul dude they're the best Ron particularly I mean I love Ron don't get me wrong but
0: yeah I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big Ron Paul fan yeah uh, bought my wife a Ron Paul t-shirt that says uh, end of the fed and she loves it yeah yep.
1: you should look at Top Lobster
0: Top Lobster
1: <laughs> he, he's a dude on Twitter and he sell, he's an artist he does uh, oh he does the artwork for that Josh Smith show nice yeah
0: alright you want to keep going yeah 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 All right, I'll just push through because we're almost done alright he says um, what do the ages of our world's greatest civilizations average excuse me why do the ages of our world's greatest civilizations average around 200 years? Why do these civilizations all seem to follow the same identical sequence, identifiable sequence, from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, and finally from dependence back into bondage? Yeah. First of all, that's amazing, but what do you think of that?
1: that's amazing (laughs) that's great
0: well because we were we were talking to John about the Roman Empire that's exactly what it sounds like Mm -hmm. and when you think about the history of the United States that's exactly what it sounds like yep if you guys can't see that open your eyes All right. he says is lying to get elected acceptable even if the candidate's intention is to get elected in order to do good he says have you ever noticed how we judge the bad guys by their actions and the good guys by their intentions you ever noticed that I have noticed that he said, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Would truth be a starting point for telling the difference? Truth. Not the spin, not the story. Mm-hmm. Truth. All right, so that's it from, this, the, from the book. the book. good. But in the back, he has an interview that he, that, that he put in. And there's a couple things from the interview that I want to read. Okay. In fact, there are three of them. All right, first one is a question was asked to him. He said, are the American people fools? His response is, I think the jury's still out on that question. He said, <laughs> he said, I've always considered the American people smart and industrious. Unfortunately, we have all known smart people who have done foolish things. As a group, when more than 100 million of us don't bother to vote in a federal election, it certainly underscores the apathy portion of a nation's fate sequence. So are we too trusting? Probably. Are we downright gullible? I'm afraid evidence might support that assertion. But are we fools? I'll give it a not yet. All right. So, I mean, I mean, I don't have any objections to that.
1: I don't have any objections to it either, but I will say I, I try not to be, but I, I get pessimistic sometimes, man. I get like black blackbilled as we were talking about, you know, that term you hadn't heard. Uh, I get a little black blackbilled and I have been recently. Like, I just feel like things are dire.
0: Uh. So, so the, the idea of black pills is just like a nihilist sort of... Uh, yeah,
1: just fuck everything. Nothing's going to work out. We're fucked. You know, like, don't even try. We're fucked.
0: So I don't know how long that's been around, but obviously the red, blue, red pill, blue pill thing is kind of post the Matrix. Yeah. It's based on that. One, yeah. one pill is the reality pill and one pill is the Matrix. And, you know, you don't know which one you're in. Uh, but the black pill idea is interesting. Yeah. You know, the
1: white like, pill idea is interesting, too.
0: A third and a fourth option
1: yeah, but There's all <laughs> kinds of fucking options
0: I want to know about the white pill but let me keep reading this Question that was posed to the author Are you saying the United States will be the site Of the world's next holocaust No I'm not saying that it will happen I am saying that it could happen It doesn't take many people To lead a nation in a direction that has serious Repercussions on the liberty of others Indeed most, most will agree That we have already given up liberties For various reasons and we, we may Never get them back Yep. And then the last question that was asked that I want to talk about is, who is lying to our country right now? This is the best answer of the book. Sorry, but I'm simply not going to answer this question. The purpose of this book is to get you to answer the question for yourself. My point is that each of us must stop blindly believing everything someone with an agenda says. Yes.
1: Full stop. That's good.
0: So that is it. Uh, oh no! Oh, fuck! It's not it. I got one more. You got one more. I got one more. The question was asked: Have the American people ever been specifically cautioned about the long-term consequences of electing leaders who lack strong character? So this was this was interesting. I forgot about this. He says, in his centennial address to Congress in 1876, President James Garfield issued issued a warning widely reported in the press at the time. Okay, I've never heard of this. It was widely reported. I've never heard this. Here it goes. He said, Now more than ever before, the people are responsible for the character of their Congress. If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If it be intelligence, brave, and pure, it is because the people demand these high qualities to represent them in their national legislature. Then he added, If 100 years from now, the next centennial does not find us a great nation... It will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation do not aid in controlling the political forces. Ba, ba, ba. Hell yeah, James Garfield. That one is the last quote. I promise.
1: All right, there's the guy. All right, you know this. T- uh, do you have anything else you want to say about it? Nope. Any, any other thought? No. Okay. Well, I well mean, go ahead.
0: The only other thing is, um, hold on. I got another J- J- Jordan Peterson, but it's. A little bit separate, so you go ahead. What did you want?
1: Okay, so that – you're talking about picking better leaders, okay? Um, I, like I said, am a little bit split between how how I want to do it, you know? Uh, part of me wants to say just, like, don't be involved, you know? Uh, cut yourself out complete – like agorism, you know what I'm saying? Just, like, don't be involved with them, mm-hmm. Um and if they come for you, defend yourself, you know? Like, I mean, how powerful would that... How powerful was it when Cliven Bundy was like, no, to the Bureau of Land Management? That shit was powerful, man. Um, I don't know. I, I think... So I'm I'm a little bit split on which way to do it, but if you Hey, you're, Kyle. What's up?
0: Who's who's Calvin Bundy?
1: Cliven Bundy. Oh, you don't... Okay. <laughs> so um, they were that family who got into a dispute with the Bureau of Land Management uh, about, like, grazing land uh, oh. for... cat, And they, like... Took up guns and defended it.
0: So, I sort of remember that. Now that you yeah, know. dude,
1: Clive and Bundy. Okay, you know, I've got respect for the guy.
0: So, so, do you think if you if you say, "Look, my solution to having a bad leader is to not have leaders," has to, to not acknowledge a leader? Does that leave you at leaderless, or does that make you your own leader? And then that's
1: all, that's it. it. It makes you, and it leader. makes you like more honestly if you're going to pick a leader it makes it more honest it makes it to where you can okay you won't follow this guy then that's fine but i don't have to follow that guy he's not making my decisions for me
0: it's super interesting and i my tendency towards like individualism makes me want to accept that i really like that idea but this is the thing this is what people are going to are going to reject it for if i am my own leader then it It's incumbent upon me to be, to have all the qualities that I want to hold my leader to. So now I have to be better. I have to work hard.
1: People respond to incentives. Doesn't that sound like a good idea?
0: It does sound like a good idea, but it doesn't sound like an easy thing. No, that's true. People like to do the easy thing.
1: That's why I don't want to force people to do what I want to do. If you want to stay in this stupid fucking paradigm, go for it. But you, I don't, I draw the line at you forcing me to Mm. forever. You know, it's interesting. Um, But where I was going with this, and I'm glad we did that because I felt like I I liked that. But where I was going is if you're going to pick if you're going to do it, by the way, of picking leaders in this paradigm, find good people. And, you know, I think that a lot of what that guy Ron DeSantis down in Florida says is good. Mm -hmm. Um, He's terrible on foreign policy. He's just like another neocon on foreign policy. So if he was the president, that would be a problem, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, But domestically, he's pretty fucking good. Uh, if I lived in Florida, I would definitely vote for him.
0: Do, are you saying he's like a like a war hawk and an isolationist, or
1: pretty much, okay. yeah, and just like a big Israel guy, which mm-hmm. I think is problematic. Okay. Um, so pick pick good people, and one guy that I want to put attention on, and I'm sure you know who he is because he's been on like Fox News and shit like that. Uh, Larry Elder. Oh
0: yeah,
1: dude. Larry Elder is the shit, and I. Wish that he was from Ohio Like I mean I would definitely vote For that guy And like He There's this video I'll send you It's him It's like an hour long Like round table With him and a bunch of Like shit-lib journalists and he just fucking bends these people over and has his way with them. Oh. I mean, that's like a rough, you know, but <laughs> but he, I mean, they are trying so hard to get him and he's just like bulletproof, dude. Well,
0: please send that to me. I will. And the next time we have a podcast, we'll play it for everybody. <laughs> Man, it's good. It's good shit. Uh,
1: Larry, and and the stuff that he's saying, like there, there's a possibility to go into an interview and like manhandle the journalist, but I'm still going to watch it and be like, this guy's a fucking asshole and the stuff that he's saying is terrible. Right. Larry says so much good shit in it like um it's he just knocks it out of the park man he says like maybe one or two things that i have a problem with um but they are things that like he can't really get around saying like they asked him about uh the insurrection the insurrection uh and he th- he said that he thinks that everyone involved should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law and i'm sorry i just don't really agree with that um to the fullest extent of the law? No, I, no, I, I I can't get behind that. I mean, what what happened with the Black Lives Matter rally? like celebrities were paying their fucking bail for them. Liberal cities were just letting them go. Yeah. No, no,
0: no, and that's that's the same problem with the law. It's like with the mandatory minimum sentences and things like that. Like the law is supposed to be discouraging people from doing those things, but every every one of those cases should be individually tried. It yeah. should be case by case depending on the circumstances. And you end up with first time offenders with a with a nonviolent drug crime who end up in jail for five or ten years because that there's minimum mandatory minimum that's not justice. But it's but it's way easier to, to rubber stamp everybody who's yep. you know five years, five years, five years. Yep. It's way easier than it is to do the hard thing and to, to weigh the freaking evidence and make a decision that's, you know, uh, Reasonable,
1: yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I no, you're good, man. <laughs> I, uh, but yeah, I completely agree with you. And uh, I basically the entire point of that is I stand hard for Larry Elder. I don't. So, know, you, go so, ahead.
0: Well, I just wanted to say the, your your like enthusiasm about wanting to vote for Larry Elder reminded me of uh, the one time that I voted for I voted in a Republican primary in this in this state. You have to be registered as a Republican to vote in a Republican primary, and I was a Libertarian, so I changed my um, uh, affiliation so I could vote for Ron Paul.
1: Oh yeah, hell yeah! And
0: I so I ended up being a Republican for for like you know, a full a full cycle before I could you know.
1: Did you change again? Uh, I can't I can't
0: actually remember.
1: So you you put any consideration into joining the Libertarian Party?
0: I mean, in two thousand six, I would have been I would have been keen. Yeah. Uh, t- today, based on what we've talked about, um, I, I have no interest in that.
1: Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, like, I definitely, part of me wants to, for sure. I, I don't
0: think they would have me.
1: Oh, oh, yeah, they would. <laughs> oh, for sure. Dude, there's, I mean, we've talked about them a bunch, the Mises Caucus. There's a big, and they're, like, taking over the party. Um, So I think soon it's going to be, like, a. I mean, you know, I, I say a legit party, um, at least ideologically. Um, and they already have a lot of like infrastructure in place. They've done a lot of the work. Um, that's awesome. I,
0: I would just love to see them in a debate with.
1: Oh, dude, I'm. That's like the. So the the libertarian debates are going to be coming up, where you know the uh, the people who want to get the nomination are going to be debating. Those will be interesting. Uh, but I just hope that. So Dave Smith, you who you know as a stand up comic, uh, has been on Rogan. His comic, his uh podcast Legion of Skanks is fucking hilarious mm-hmm. um, so he's he's trying to get it and I hope he does because Dave is a good debater and um, I think that he not only is he a good debater he's funny he's a stand-up and he's like kind of a shit poster you know so I just th- I I don't think know if he would describe himself as that but I just hope that he can get up there and make them look stupid
0: I would I would like nothing better yeah and he's capable yeah and I'm imagining the stage with Dave Smith in the middle and Trump on one side and Biden on the oh, other. man! But this is the thing, that and that would be gold for everybody. But this is the thing. I don't know for sure. I, I don't think Biden will run again. No, and, I don't. And think so And either. I'm not sure Trump will run again.
1: Uh, he says that, he will too, but I, I'm I'm with you. I don't know that that's going to be. You know, I, I think DeSantis is making a run at it.
0: I give Trump a I give Trump's run a fifty fifty at this point if he does it again. But can you imagine all of the Dave Smith bits of that would be? Oh, that would be great. Things that have never happened before. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: You know. Um, I think that if you put somebody like Dave Smith or even other people, if they get the nomination, like this dude, Spike Cohen, who is great. um, I think that if you put somebody up there who is like smart as fuck and also honest like uh intellectually honest whereas like the people that he's going to be going up against they don't fucking believe anything. Correct. So I mean I just feel like I I have a hard time imagining that somebody like that is not going to be able to make them look dumb. If they are smart and they are logically consistent like Ron Paul, man. Ron Paul. Like what well, I mean he did it perfectly, you know? If I I so, and I mean things didn't really work out, so who knows, maybe we're just Maybe it's the other way. Maybe we Listen, should go the other way. If
0: I, if I were Ron Paul, I would I would I think Ron Paul was fucked the way Bernie Sanders was fucked. Nobody yeah. ever nobody ever gave Ron Paul a shot. The party never threw their support behind him. He was always considered to be a fringe candidate and he was only there because he had been in politics forever and was respected. Yep. You know, but he was never given a shot and Bernie was never given a shot.
1: Yeah. I you know, there's like stories about Ron Paul and one of them is that lobbyists wouldn't even talk to him.
0: See that's that's the guy you want
1: exactly. Uh, Another one is that um, I can't remember it. I don't know. I I, I lost it. The lobbyist one is good though. It's Mm. like don't don't even bother. Don't
0: even bother. All right. So I was listening to um, Jordan's most recent uh, podcast with a guy named Stephen Blackwood. He's another academic in Canada, and I was trying to write down some notes from that podcast to talk about today. And now it's going to seem because the Sequence of things is going to seem out of, out of place, but I want, to, I want to ask you anyway, because this goes back to the argument about collectivism and individualism and, like, you know, the way we talked with, like, Yeonmi Park, how in North Korea they didn't use the word I. Yeah. Okay, so he's, he's talking about uh, communism and Marxism, and uh, Jordan says, This is a key element of Marxist thought, that social structures structure individual consciousness, it's not that individual consciousness structures social structures. He says uh, it's, it's the group imposing its nature on the individual rather than the individual leading the group. What do you think of that? Mm,
1: I don't, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty interesting.
0: So it's like, what comes to my mind is like the example, uh, there's a word for it, but I can't think of the word, where there's uh, somebody's drowning. Yeah, yeah. And it's at a concert, and there's a thousand people there, and nobody helps because everyone thinks somebody else is going to do it, and nobody does it, and the person dies. So there's something that comes to my mind like the group is terribly dumb.
1: Yeah.
0: And we we talked about ways in which they're not, like when we talked about the guessing of the number of uh, jelly beans in the thing. But it's like the group is not moral, and the group is not rational exactly. And I don't like the idea that it's that that makes me who i am as an individual but i can't disagree with the fact that society and culture kind of kind of made me in some ways what i am by limiting the opportunities and the you know the yeah it's like what i'm adapted to yeah so i don't know man
1: i think that culture is undoubtedly shape individuals i mean that's no question um but I think that also individuals can shape culture. I mean, you think about, like, you get one, like, really powerful person. And now, mind you, that that powerful person has been shaped by culture. I mean, right. but he can move culture, like, change culture for sure. So
0: what is it about that person that makes him able to do that when everybody else can't or won't?
1: I'm thinking of Kanye. <laughs> I really am. I'm not even joking. Um because like you I know you're not like a huge Kanye fan, but I love Kanye. He's like man, it's like biggie and Kanye for me really? like that's it. interesting. Um, but uh he, even the, even if you don't really dig him that much, you have to admit there's something about the guy.
0: Is it, is it the charismatic part? You know, like when, like when you see... I don't
1: think it is. I mean, I think that that's a huge, huge part of it. I, I shouldn't even have said no because, yes, obviously that is a huge part of it. But I also think that he's incredibly talented. Um, and, like, he, he says things that are true in, like, such a unique, like, outlandish, crazy way. Um, and, like, I don't know if you've been paying attention to him, like, the stuff that he's been talking about, like, politically and culturally. Nope. He's interesting, man. He says interesting shit. Um, he's not what you would expect from like popular black culture. The way that they like the way that the left portrays black culture, Kanye is not that.
0: So, would you say? Would you say? I'm, I I don't want to do. I was going to do this, but I have changed my mind. The <laughs> other day, we were talking about something similar, and we okay. were saying like, look, you've got these certain academics like uh, Thaddeus Russell and Jordan Peterson that are doing interesting things. Um, and you said that they get traction and they stand out because they aren't doing what everyone else is doing. That Then I said that they were like a light in the darkness mm-hmm. and that's what I was going to drop on you just now. So Kanye might be kind of like that, a light in the darkness and I think it might be... I think that's true. I think it might be connected to what you were saying earlier about um about what you require of your leaders, what standards you hold them to. It's like you want somebody who stands on their own. You want somebody... For sure. You want somebody who who believes what they believe and stands for it. That's what Jordan Peterson did.
1: And that relates back to what I was trying to say earlier about like the media and the perception of like, you have to stand for something. Otherwise, you're just going to be taking in all of this fucking garbage information and you're much, much likelier to be swayed by it. And it ties back to that bad Roman thing that I talked about. It, that, you know, mm. s- sometimes to be a good Christian, you have to be a bad Roman. Mm. Sometimes to be a good human being you have to be anti-state i mean i, I you know
0: it's amazing i'm not in my head i'm getting pumped right now fucking hey dude because basically what you're telling me and maybe we can wrap on this what you're telling me is that so i'm gonna use i'm gonna use petersonian here so in, in order for you to be a hero a hero is the person that drives culture A hero is a person that people follow a hero is a person who changes the tides like Barack Obama said he was going to do. A hero. And what you need to be a hero is to stand on your own, even if that means against the tide, against everyone else. And that's how, you, that's how you get noticed. That's how you become a light in the darkness. Hell yeah. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us.